Welcome to episode number 13. That's the final episode of the first season of The Funding Coach. My name is Don Gooding, and I'm the founder of Four Colors of Money for Entrepreneurs, a blog, podcast, training videos, and other resources all designed to help you figure out what's the right mix of bootstrapping, grants, loans, and equity, and especially figure out what you should be doing now to get the right color of money for you. Here on The Funding Coach, I'm helping real businesses with real funding problems so that you can figure out how to start and grow your business. In this episode, I've got a series of short interviews with all six of the entrepreneurs that I interviewed during the course of season one. The idea here is to give you an update on how they're doing with their own funding challenges. In some cases, it's been quite some time since I spoke with them first, and so there'll be a lot of progress. And in other cases, I've talked to them relatively recently, and so we're more talking about what we're going to continue to do after the end of season one. It, of course, will be extremely helpful for you if you've heard the original interviews first before you listen to this episode. But if you've done that and you're anxious to hear how these companies are doing with their challenges, listen on, and I hope you enjoy all these interviews. I'll be back at the end of all six of these uh, update interviews to give some final thoughts on season one. Max Tubman of BFD Systems, welcome back to The Funding Coach. Oh, excellent. Thank you very much for having me back. We talked about four months ago, and you were trying to figure out how to fund the next stage of growth for your industrial drone company, and you had a bootstrapping option, you talked to debt providers, you had potential investors talking to you. Can you bring us up to date on to uh, what's transpired in those four months? Yeah, absolutely. So I... We're still doing the bootstrapping method for now, um, and we still do have a couple of different investors who are orbiting and, and watching what we're doing. But for right now, none of the investment deals that, that came forward really seemed worth it at this point. So we did have uh, a really excellent first half of the year. So we're we're definitely able to maintain the bootstrapping method for now. That's great. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's been really good. And then uh, I did – look into some some banking options but a lot of the stuff that the bank was seeing was you know you haven't been in business for 18 months yet so they were they were reluctant to do you know loans or lines of credit so it, if it was a real necessity that we probably would have figured it out but at the same time you know we just keep getting big orders so um, that's been able to allow us to kind of maintain on our own for now well, that's terrific. And as I recall, with these big orders, you require people to put a down payment on. So that makes the cash flow work in your business. Is Am I re remembering that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it definitely works. Um, but it, it does require like the downside is it does require, you know, kind of a consistent order stream because, you know, people will put a deposit down and that will cover the parts and part of the payroll, but not you know, if you're not continuing, the, the downside is if you're not continuing to to sell these things uh, at a good pace, then you can run into cash flow problems. But it has not been an issue for us thus far. Um, the other thing is 
we've transferred from more or going from custom development, which we still do a lot of, but we have a lot more kind of production models as well. And the production models are just, you know, they, they take a lot of time in the R and D to, to really streamline the manufacturing process. But once all that time has been put in, they, they go together a lot faster. So um, that's really what we've been moving towards too, which is reducing labor times per build. Well, that's great. So one quick suggestion, uh, and I know you have a lot on your plate, but there are some online lenders who are both credible, that is, they're not online loan sharks, as well as providing uh, debt to small businesses such as yours that maybe haven't been in business as long as you have. They're more focused on your financials to date. So I will make sure I send you uh, a link to the post of who I consider to be the good guys, because there's a mm-hmm. whole bunch of them out there and not all of them are scrupulous. But there are some that you might consider to have an, a standby line of credit because as you get bigger and the cash flows from customers go up and down, there are inevitably going to be some hiccups. And it may be helpful to have that line of credit just sitting there just in case. That makes sense? Oh, yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, with that, I want to keep in touch over time. And as you perhaps get closer to thinking, hey, maybe I should uh, talk a little bit more seriously to those investors, happy to have a conversation again uh, when you get to that point in time. All right. Yeah, definitely. I would appreciate that. That'd be great. Um, yeah, a lot of the reason we're trying to hold off is because we haven't, we're just in this crazy growth spur right now. So trying to give up equities, we're trying to hold off on that as long as possible. So I, I totally understand. Okay. Well, yeah. look forward to uh, keeping in touch. Okay. Thank you very much. Amanda O'Brien of 1820, uh, welcome back to The Funding Coach. Thank you. So I know a lot has been going on since we last spoke, uh, on the air, that is. Uh, it's funny to say on the air since this is a podcast, but in, in, on, the, on the net, we'll, we'll say it that way. You want to give a quick summary of all the things that have been going on at the company? Sure. I will do my very best. Uh, so we were coming out of the winter and into spring, I think, when we last spoke and we're trying to figure out how we were going to move forward and doing a lot of work with kind of looking at cash flow and planning for the year. And Pete, who my business partner, um, actually, he made a decision that he was going to leave the company to, to pursue some other some other things. Um, so we went through a bit of a buyout process. Um, I then started working with the Women's Business Center at CEI, which is super helpful, great resource um, to work on my business planning and again to really look at the cash flow. Uh, and yeah, and then we started going into production. So working with our farmers to get as much rhubarb as we could for this first pick. Uh, and then also worked with CEI to get a loan to help pay for the rhubarb. So we, they had a new loan product coming out that they thought was a good fit for me. So it's the Wicked Fast Micro Loan. So went through that process with them and got a $25,000 loan to make things more comfortable and to be able to purchase that rhubarb. 
and since then I've been chopping rhubarb and figuring this out ever since. Well, that that is so much going on. And I know you and I have been having conversations all along the way. And I and I feel happy that I think along the way I've been able to be some help because I know we sat down for a lunch uh, right after Pete had given you the news. And we talked about strategies there. And I think we also had a, a meeting with the three of us to kind of hash through what a separation agreement might be like. So so d- was that uh, something that your lawyers ended up saying, this is, this is pretty good? Yeah, that was pretty spot on. Yeah, you have been a great resource along the way. Your timing has been perfect. Uh, and, you know, both Pete and I were talking after of how nice it was to be able to have you as like a third person, a third party to help us through. Because this is our first time figuring that out. So well, uh, those uh, conversations were very helpful. Th- they are extremely difficult when you have a separation of the ways. I I think I told you I had a very messy business divorce with my first business partner in the acapella music business. So I, I worked really hard to try to help entrepreneurs, you know, to the extent that business separations do happen, and they happen a lot, uh, that they go as smoothly as possible. Well, well, that's terrific. And so I think I had also maybe recommended women business centers. I, I can't, you know, I don't want to take credit for things I haven't done yet. Yeah, uh, I think that you did. Yeah. And I think also on the air, I had talked about CEI, which was a CDFI potentially being a fit. So that's that's pretty awesome that they came out with this new microloan product. For people listening, microloans are a term that's bandied about a lot, uh, but they typically are this $25,000 range. And as I recall, that was... So that was an important part of the funding. I think also uh, you had some debt from various other sources that may be, you know, friends and family who you may be able to, been able to say, hey, uh, sorry, I can't pay you right now, but we're going to have season two and, and I'll be able to pay you later. Is that also part of the overall funding picture? Yeah. So we have a couple of loans, at least with friends and family. So part of our agreement with Pete too, is he took some of those with him and then I kept some of them. And yeah, I approached the friends and family and and said, you know, here's our agreement. And if you want to extend it, you know, is it possible to extend it? And then offered, you know, a different interest rate for another year. Uh, Again, friends and family are uh, lifesavers. So they each were just like, no, just catch us next year. We want to see you succeed. So it was nice to, to have them have their back. Well, that is just so wonderful. So when can I look forward to uh, tasting some of the season two uh, rhubarb wine? So we should have a sweeter version out in the next few weeks. Uh, and that will be a, still a smaller batch available in the tasting room, but we should have bottles. So that one wild fermented. So it just turn, it's a sweeter product. And then after that, probably another another month or so until we have the original product that we started with. So that's definitely later in the season than I would like, but I'm excited because that means we can um, shelf that and then be really ready for 2019 to hit in the spring and have a bunch of rhubarb wine to get out to all the the wholesalers and retailers that are expecting it. Well, that is a terrific outcome of a very challenging situation. So 
congratulations on that. And uh, I hope you have many, many more seasons of uh, rhubarb wine at 1820. Thank you. Ben Nussbaum of Floor, welcome back to The Funding Coach. How's your summer going? Uh, pretty good. So I'm now two and a half months into the summer, starting pretty much end of May, beginning of June, and we've had some good progress, but also some setbacks as well. So, Which is the normal course of events for entrepreneurship. Exactly. So where are you now? So my first really call to action in the beginning of the summer was to speak and reach out to as many brands as I could. Not only to kind of, I guess, rally some of these brands behind the idea and see if we can get some traction here, um, but also to continue tweaking kind of the exact offering that we are pitching to these brands. To comment on that a little bit, I would say our greatest hurdle really getting this off the ground is obviously opening a physical retail location. But what's interesting about that is that's the pitch that we're that we're offering these brands. Reaching out to a lot of uh, these online brands saying, listen, you can do digital advertising. Um, you can try and move into traditional retail, but opening your own store, there's the capital and logistic requirement of getting that off the ground. And that's the same trouble we're facing ourselves. So it's kind of like working together with these brands to kind of help them do what they need, but also they're helping us uh, open this store. So with customer development, there's often you know, the good news and the bad news from talking and, you know, lots of learning going on. So so how are you feeling about the idea and the direction after talking with, well, how many people did you say that you've talked to this summer in addition to those yeah, you've talked to I've, before? Um, I've had total conversations, um, probably about 70, 80 people. And I would say right. actual more in-depth conversations, probably about half that. So like continuing a conversation with someone and getting some real feedback or building somewhat of a relationship in the 30 to 40 number. Yep. Well, that's terrific. So you're going to be going back to Bates College in the fall. How does it feel in terms of what you're going to be doing in, the, I think this is going to be your senior year, right? Yeah. So I'm actually excited to get back to Bates. Like, June and July, or, or kind of leading out of May, June and July were, were, were great months to kind of work on this. I was supported with the team at Learn Launch down in Boston, Mass. So I, I had office space down there in a, in a co-working space, which was great. August right now is kind of a little bit of a limber month. But when I go back to Bates, I think my first uh, plan is to try and rally some other students around this idea. Like I've, the, the biggest thing I've realized now is I can't do this alone. Um, not only because there's too much work to be done, but because I don't have all the skill sets to kind of fulfill what we need. Well, that's an awesome aha moment. And it's important for lots of entrepreneurs to have that realization. So so kudos to you. So you're going to be trying to recruit some people. And yeah, then, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then next steps while you're at Bates and then you know thinking about what might happen after that? Yeah, so... I don't know if I'm going to be pitching again this year at the Bobcat Ventures. I'd like to take more of an administrative leadership role for the Bobcat Ventures program and try and help other students. Great. Um, but around that, bring this idea back to kind of the drawing board with everything we've learned this summer, everything I've learned this summer, um, and see if we can maybe even repitch this idea with other students together um, to kind of push it forward a little bit more. 
Um, and not even waiting till the, the, the March pitch event, but kind of kicking this off September 5, right when everyone gets back to school. Great. So team building, uh, that's awesome. So I don't know whether you had a chance to listen to my analysis post the interview, but I thought that perhaps as a goal, you could try to get into one of the accelerators, which is often a path for entrepreneurs coming out of colleges. Is that something that's on your radar yet? It is. And my biggest regret is not have pushing that harder going into this summer. Well, I think actually what you're planning to do, which is to go back, recruit more people, which frankly makes you more attractive to accelerators and having talked to more uh, people out in the field, I think you're going to have a better accelerator application as a result of that. Yeah, I think I, I think I was definitely a little bit too early last summer. I mean, I just collected my check, which was, you know, it is what it is. But I haven't spoken to enough people. So now going forward, if I do plan to apply, and I think depending on, you know, kind of where jobs are looking, um, I think that I will. But having, you know, a couple dozen brands to stand behind me and validate what I'm saying is the key to this whole thing. Absolutely. Well, best of luck to you. Uh, and congrats on at being able to move the business at least a little bit further on. And uh, hope to see you getting into oh, – why don't we go for it? In Y Combinator class of uh, summer 2019. That would be awesome. Okay. Be awesome. I hope that. All right. All talk right. to you soon then. Bye-bye now. Thanks. You got it. This episode of The Funding Coach is brought to you by Branding Compass. You probably know that building a brand is important, right? But you don't have tens of thousands of dollars lying around to pay a branding company. And that is why the interactive online tool Branding Compass was created just for companies like you. It's kind of like working with an award-winning branding firm, but for a fraction of the price. Branding Compass walks you through the questions that a branding company would typically ask. And if you need some help on some of those questions, well, Branding Compass includes a course to help you build a stronger brand while you're going through this process. The system provides automated expert advice, so you get really useful output. This includes recommendations for a color palette, typefaces, and imagery, as well as a unique value proposition and even an ideal customer profile. And that's just for the basic version of Branding Compass. If you need more help, you can get it. I was a beta customer for Branding Compass, and I found it extremely helpful. You can see my customer testimonial at brandingcompass.com. And while you're there, sign up for the Branding Compass plan that's right for you and use the coupon code THEFUNDINGCOACH, all one word, all lowercase, to save $10 on any licensing option. Chuck Donnelly, Rockstep Solutions. Uh, love to hear an update on how things are going at the company with the financing, because it's been a number of months since we last spoke, at least, uh, quote unquote, on the air here. Yeah, Dan, uh, things have been going uh, pretty well. It's uh, a fairly complex problem trying to raise equity and, and financing. So just a little background, you know, our company's financial model basically has incorporated these several stages of capital from private investment, convertible notes, government grants, commercial services, licensing revenue. 
Um, and now we're moving into this uh, trying to raise equity financing. So basically priced equity on our company. So where we are now is we feel like we've built up some valuation that it's worth actually going out to investors and actually trying to put a valuation on the company and sell some equity. So the struggle there now or the complexity that comes up is as you start to build up that valuation in your company, do you want to go and raise a lot of capital and sell equity in your company at a low price? Or do you want to raise just the right amount of capital, sell you know a smaller amount of capital so you're not selling too much of your company with the goal of actually building the valuation in your company over the next six months and then getting to a series A and you know the because the valuation is is likely to double or triple as we start to bring on more customers and and basically build a sales model where we're actually have a repeatable process and we actually proven out the market a little bit more. So yeah, that's yeah, where so, we so are. where where are you now in that process of, you know, I'll oversimplify it, say angel kind of funding versus more institutional venture capital type of funding. So, you know, we've talked with all of the above. So we've talked with uh, investors all around Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and Maine. We've talked with venture, we've talked with angels, and we've sort of settled on on working with an angel round right now. So right now, we're very close to a term sheet, which is really exciting. And we are hoping to, be once we get the term sheet, to reach back to all the investors we've talked to. Bring in around, but not bring in too much money. Well, that's terrific. And I think also one of the key parts as you're trying to figure out which way to go on the funding side is also trying to do this transition from selling to the research labs to bigger corporations. Can you talk a little bit about the progress that you've been able to make there without having any money? Absolutely. Yeah. It's been a real challenge. It's, 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 you know, the challenge is fun. So, you know, when you're successful. And so our, our early market was academia. And that was really the test market. We were testing the product, you know, hardening the product, proving its value in biomedical research. But the target market was industry. And the license uh, model for industry is quite different than the license model for academia, which is very price sensitive. So we have just recently closed a couple deals in uh, industry. Our long-term goal is uh, global markets, and we actually just closed our first deal in Europe. Well, that's terrific. So I do hope that you'll be able to get all the way from close to a term sheet to actually a term sheet. It might be worth mentioning here. Uh, I've been working with Chuck in and around all of this situation. And one of the many wrinkles that's come up is something called the main seed capital tax credit, which was a great idea, still is a great idea of giving individual investors a credit of 50% of their investment on their main tax liability over the period of four years. But because now, outside of state, institutional investors are able to also take advantage of that it's been kind of running out. So uh, how do you feel about that, Chuck? You know, that was a big surprise to us. And it's, uh, it's, it's a little scary. So we that tax credit has been something that obviously all the main investors and some of the out of state investors have been excited about. And, um, you know, you hear it when you're talking to them and we're getting ready to draft up a term sheet and close, you know, really start to move this forward. And then all of a sudden we heard that uh, the main seed tax credit was uh, no longer, the fund was empty. 
and won't be full again until January. And then in January, there's so much pressure built up that it may empty out very quickly. So, you know, this whole fund was designed to actually help entrepreneurs and help investors and basically push the economy forward. And right now, where it is, it's actually causing it become a, uh, you know, a suppressor of the investment. So it's it's a little scary. Um, we may find it more difficult that, you know, investors may want to put less money in than they normally would have. We had investors clearly in the past who were, you know, hey, if I put in this amount of money, X dollars, it's, you know, I get 50% back. Here it is, you know, and those same investors are probably going to put less in. So it makes our challenge harder. And I I am concerned for some entrepreneurs that it may actually, you know, cause some entrepreneurs not to succeed. Hopefully that's not the case, but I, I hope so too. We'll be talking again for sure soon uh, off the air. Thank you very All much. Right. All right. Thanks, Don. Margot Walsh of Mainworks, welcome back to The Funding Coach. Delighted to be here. Thank you, Don. Well, we spoke not too, too long ago, and we talked about a bunch of things. I'm wondering if you can give me a quick update on any relevant developments in your uh, fundamental business. Don, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk to you. And it was so helpful on many levels to talk about this because entrepreneurs are really busy doing their business and the cumulative impact of not really knowing how to fund and finance and uh, you know sort of navigate the options of funding um, can actually be really daunting when you're just trying to mind your business. And so the opportunity to talk to you about this has been incredible. Um, one development since we spoke last was that my son, who graduated with a finance degree a year ago, took a year to go and travel in Asia, is now returned. And landed on both feet and came right into Mainworks to help out as a financial analyst and to look at our um, processes. That's terrific. Wow. Thank you. So where is he in the process of trying to get up to speed on your business, your numbers and all of that? And again, Don, I think um, one of the things that entrepreneurs tend to do is whatever they have in place at the moment and then just expand on that. And that is not necessarily uh, based on the strongest foundation financially. Um, If you invite an analyst in to look at your um, history and how you've put together QuickBooks, for example, um, as one option, um, just to make sure that there's integrity in the way that it started. As As you start to grow, that will start to really matter. Absolutely. Yeah, he's been really looking at the line item by line item. Does it make sense? Is it in the right place? Um, is it accounted for? Is interest accounted for? And when it comes to loans, like are they all in the right place for a traditional accounting review? That's terrific because I have heard from other people who work with entrepreneurs that QuickBooks is a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it's really easy to get started. On the other hand, if you don't know your way around accounting rules, it's also easy to put in stuff that really doesn't make sense. So so you're going to end up with a much clearer, more standard uh, look to your accounting, which will then be really important when you talk to potential funders. Definitely. And I would also say that 
just because someone is a QuickBook expert does not make them an expert at where numbers should go. Exactly right. And that's absolutely true. And we found that. And um, to with love and affection for the people who have tried to help me over the years, it really takes a, um, a disciplined approach to looking at how things line up, literally, so that they're scrutable. And our accountant has been very helpful in that over the years. But in good in good out as they say absolutely right yeah. so so you're probably learning a little bit from your son too uh look as he's looking at these books and with such an open mind too don because um whether or not he was my son it happens to be uh, the case and there, therefore we are i would say a family business um i i defer to his uh youth frankly because i grew up um you know just on the when cell phones were first coming out and uh, we worked with Lotus spreadsheets. And so things have changed quite a bit. And I really welcome that new um, energy and the new perspective. And so I would say to anyone who's struggling with these things is maybe find an intern at the graduate school level or the, you know, just graduated from college with a solid accounting degree. It might come in and take it on as an opportunity just to do a project and look and see that it measures up with, the most current thinking, considering technology. Well, that's that's really good advice. And it's great bootstrapping advice to be able to try to get some of that expertise in your company without having to pay a huge amount. So as you look at the, the progress that's being made, how long before you think you're going to have your books ready probably for me to take a look at so we can talk about things like what types of funding could be a fit for where you are today? The old adage, you don't know what you don't know, is so clear here. And I think that we've brought in um, you know, what was very prudent about a year ago. I met a uh, business consultant who specializes in um, his specialty happens to be distressed companies, but it's he's basically a turnaround consultant who's been urging me towards this moment. And then with my son coming in, he's actually been able to line things up. So um, we are uh, definitely um, putting ourselves together for your review and that of any other interested parties, probably within the next three months, maybe sooner. Great. Well, I think by then I will have continued my discussions looking at impact investing. I've written a couple blog posts about it, but I have a meeting scheduled uh, with somebody at the Maine Community Foundation, which is on the one hand a big manager of nonprofit investments for people into community-oriented uh, nonprofits. But then they've also been looking at impact investing as something that maybe they ought to be doing. So I'll be able to get an update on that. So I think those two will be able to converge and we'll be able to figure out what might make sense uh, for you trying to expand the geographic impact of your business. Thank you, Don. And just for the people that might be listening, I want to just remind everybody that Mainworks is a for-profit company, an LLC. Exactly. That has a social mission. And the burden of that social mission, um, which would traditionally have been a government or a nonprofit problem, became so uh, daunting to manage financially that we have now established a 501c3 that kind of runs in tandem. So I want to thank you very much for the exposure. And I look forward uh, in the not too distant future to helping 
push you along in your mission and, and your very big success in changing the lives of some people who really deserve to have their lives changed in a positive direction. Thank you so much, Don. We, we look around every day and marvel at the outcomes of people who would have been otherwise just broken and they found their way and now they're off and running. And that is the, um, I, in my opinion, that is the outcome of uh, social enterprise. Okay. Talk to you again soon then. Thanks, Don. All the best. Joe Walsh of uh, Green Clean Maine, welcome back to The Funding Coach. Thanks, Don. Great to be back. So we spoke a few months ago, and you were at a point where, after a bunch of years in the business, you were looking at expansion, growth possibilities, both through product as well as geographic expansion. Can you give us an update on what's happened, uh, if anything? Because I know you were also pressed because your number two person was away on leave at the time. Yeah, so uh, a few things have happened. So on the product front, based on your recommendations, we have or I have retained a consultant to help move things forward. And we've put together a proposal to apply for an MTI. TechStart grant. I believe that's what it's called. Yep. Um, that's the first one. Yep. First one. Yep. The TechStart grant. And so we have put together a proposal uh, to, you know, basically have this consultant on board and help apply for this grant to do the basic market research and exploratory, you know, is there a business case for this and what else is happening in the marketplace on the product side of things, which is really exciting. Great. I recognized, yeah, I recognized that this wasn't going to happen with everything I have going on in my existing business. This wasn't going to happen unless I got in some outside help to really help me move forward. So definitely leveraging the MTI, hope to be leveraging the MTI Tech Start grant to, to make that happen. Terrific. So that's really exciting. For my existing business, we have been blindsided by the labor market. I I thought it was tight when I was talking with you last, but we had it under control. And we're a wise mentor said to me recently, sometimes you have to subtract to multiply. And I say that we're definitely experiencing that because we basically, I've had to raise my prices a significant amount so that we can raise our wages a significant amount to even attract people to come in and work for us on the cleaning service business side of things. So any plans about, you know, geographic expansion or anything like that have definitely been put on the table while we try to stabilize the existing business. Totally understand that. Yeah. That's been our focus for the past, probably since we spoke, since we last spoke, it wasn't long after we last spoke that we started to just get bombarded with the fact that we couldn't get anyone to come in and fill our positions for the frontline production work of actually cleaning the houses. It's something, I mean, we've had labor shortages before, but not like this. It's, it's, it's been really kind of shocking the degree to which, uh, or I should say the pace at which the cost of frontline labor has gone up. So it just fundamentally affected the business and it's kind of caused us to stop growing while we make some adjustments to how we price and how we can pay people. Well, I think anybody listening 
ought to think about this in terms of their own business. We have not experienced significant labor inflation in the United States in, I would say, decades. And you may be the canary in the coal mine, so to speak, here, indicating that things are going to be going up. They are going up right now in the labor markets, and that may lead to price increases. So, you know, hold on. Um, well, well, good. So, so just what one quick note on MTI, and you may know this already, Joe, but yep. MTI is now implementing a new strategic plan. And so the names that they're giving to their kind of grants and very attractive development loans uh, may be changing. So uh, there may be a few delays in the process, but uh, my friends at uh, Maine Technology Institute assure me that they're still going to be doing basically the same things, just trying to be more responsive. So that's good news. Oh, good. That's great news. And uh, and, and on that front, the, the person that I, I brought in, who you actually connected me with, Don, which has been fantastic, um, he has actually, we've worked together to develop a plan for what we would do, assuming that our work with the Techstart grant is successful mm -hmm. and yields the type of result that we hypothesize we'll get then we have also figured out here's what we would do with the next stage of funding from MTI. And it's a pretty clear path now. When I last spoke with you, it was very foggy. It was like, I want to do these products. I have this great opportunity. I have no idea how I'm going to pay for it. And now there's like this pretty clear progression that I'm really excited about. Well, that's so. terrific. So again, for anybody listening, there are always capacity issues in trying to do some incremental thing. And sometimes it does make a huge difference to bring in somebody on a short-term consulting basis to uh, you know, supplement your own capacity and together put together a plan about how you're going to make this happen. Well, that's terrific. And I look forward to seeing those uh, products on the market maybe a year or two from now. Yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks a lot, Joe. Yeah, thanks, Don. I'd like to finish season one with four thoughts, observations, reflections on the stories of these six different entrepreneurs and their funding challenges. First of all, stuff happens to mess up your funding plans. It's not that different from the rest of entrepreneurship, right? Think of Amanda O'Brien and Pete coming to an impasse that they didn't foresee before they started talking about funding, or Joe Walsh and the employee turnover and recruiting problems that suddenly put the growth plans on hold. Second observation is that funding pivots happen. Sometimes they're little. Think about Chuck Donnelly and Rockstep Solutions, who started off looking for angels and thinking maybe it was going to be VCs, and then he had to go back to angels again. So that's not at all unusual, but sometimes these pivots can be big. For example, Margot Walsh and Joe Walsh, respectively, having bootstrapped their businesses essentially for many years and suddenly saying, hey, you know what, maybe it's time to get to the next level through funding. And it can also be a kind of planned pivot. Max Tubman bootstrapped to get started, 
But probably at the back of his mind, he was thinking, you know, maybe at some point I'm going to need investors. So all that means is you have to keep an open mind when you're thinking about your funding options. Third observation is that preparation is essential for funding. It includes everything from Ben Nussbaum at Floor doing the necessary customer discovery before trying to talk to angel investors, uh, Amanda O'Brien needing to put together a cash flow forecast before trying to go seek funding, and even Margot Walsh getting her son in to look over QuickBooks line by line to get the financial house in order before she goes out to try to get funding. Final observation is that outside advisors and consultants can make a huge difference in trying to get the right funding options. Think about uh, Max Tubman soliciting input from me and a bunch of others to try to figure out what the right option was. Informal advisors, very common, especially at an early stage. I played a role in helping Amanda and Pete through their situation at 1820, and Joe Walsh in turn hired a consultant to help put together a plan for his new product and the grant application to help fund that. So it's hard to be an entrepreneur all on your own. And when it comes to funding or any really new, serious, big adventure, oftentimes it's very helpful to get outside advisors and sometimes extra capacity in the short term to help make that happen. And that will wrap up this episode, in fact, this first season of The Funding Coach. I would love to hear what you think about today's episode, in fact, the entire first season. Uh, What things would you like to hear more of or less of? Please head on over to the podcast show notes for Season 1, Episode 13 at 4FORcolorsofmoney.com, where you can also see a few more links and resources that were referenced in these interviews, and you can let the community know what you think I ought to be doing for the next season. And if you haven't done it already, please head on over to iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. Uh, I think we're on about six uh, at this point in time. And please subscribe to The Funding Coach and leave us a rating and review. It helps us in our startup efforts. And if you think that you should be on the next season or some future season of The Funding Coach to get help with your funding challenge, please drop me an email at don.gooding, G-O-O-D-I-N-G, at fourcolorsofmoney.com. I hope you've really enjoyed this podcast and this entire first season, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon on season two of The Funding Coach. Uh, It's coming out sometime fall of 2018. Goal is to do it by September, uh, but it's already the middle of August, so it might be October. You know how that goes with startups. But we'll talk to you in season two for sure. Thank you.